Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're Out to Lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The built environment and the way we design our buildings and green spaces help create our sense of place and determine our character as a community. But it's not just as simple as putting down good plans on paper. It takes a comprehensive effort and commitment from everyone, not only to design livable, smart, sustainable communities, but to keep them clean. With me today to discuss this is Jeffrey Carbo, a landscape architect with more than 35 years experience in professional practice and the founding principal of Carbo Landscape Architecture in Baton Rouge and Alexandria. The range and scope of Jeff's concerns include environmental conservation, the historical and cultural context of local and regional landscapes, and the attention to design detail in the many places and gardens that his firm has created. Jeff is a graduate of the award-winning LSU Robert Reich School of Landscape Architecture, and his firm's projects have a unique design perspective that have influenced decision makers to follow the themes of historic and cultural influences as design and construction detailing with references to Louisiana's French, Spanish, Creole, and American cultures. Jeff, thanks so much for being here today on Out to Lunch. With me and Jeff is Kelly Hurtado, a co-founder of the Louisiana Stormwater Coalition, a nonprofit group established in early 2021 with a mission of helping clean up Baton Rouge's polluted watershed, which is littered with bottles, cans, and trash. The organization is trying to come up with a long-term program for not only stopping litter at its source and trapping it before it enters the creeks and bayous that make up the area's watershed, which flow into the Gulf, but also to educating the community. Kelly is a Baton Rouge native and LSU graduate who has worked in philanthropy as a fundraiser for the Our Lady of the Lake Foundation and prior to that as a publisher of In Register Magazine. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. Glad to be here. Well, Jeffrey, I want to, I want to start with you. Um, I mean, when you look at a space, how do you know what to do with it and what is the best use of it? Well, there's so many variables that go into play when you're analyzing a, a space. I mean, first, is it a private space? Is it public? I mean, it, it, context. We talk about context all the time. Where is it? Um, how is it oriented? Who is likely to use it? Are there any cultural influences? Are there any social influences? You know, at LSU, I had a professor that always asked um, a, a question, Jeff, this looks great, but what does it mean? You know. And so, you know, for us, we're always looking for more depth, more meaning. Uh, we fortunately, through the LSU School of Landscape Architecture, my family and I, we've been able to see the world. We, we take trips every other summer. And we always think back on what was memorable. Mm -hmm. and, and the things that are memorable are the special places. So that's the sort of baseline of things that we begin to think about. How can we make this space memorable and what's the highest and best use of it? Now, the kind, you all, as, a, as I mentioned in your introduction, you do a variety of projects, but what do you really consider your specialty and what are some of your signature projects in this area that people might be familiar with? 
Well, I would say that our firm is rooted in residential work. Um, that's how we got our beginning because that was what was available to us 30 years ago. We continue to do residential work because I think it's the the venue for and the highest venue for creativity. Um, you know, public work almost always has constraints. There are a lot of influences. A lot of people have opinions about how things should happen, and sometimes good ideas get watered down to accommodate the vision of the multitudes. But I would say in Baton Rouge, probably our most visible project has been Nicholson Gateway from, sure. from West Chimes to Skip Burtman. That was a transformation where our firm worked with Remsen, Herp and Haley and HNTB, where we took the on-street parking off of Nicholson and we created a wider boulevard down the middle and we planted it very generously and it was a very smart move on LSU's part to include that scope in the developer's obligation to do that gateway project and it was transformative. Oh it's beautiful. We just want to see it happen from West Chimes to Government Street. And in a lot of other places. And a lot of other places. I mean you know all the gateways in LSU should be, be conceived of that way. Yep. You know. and, and there are so many beautiful spaces in Baton Rouge, I guess, in part because we're blessed with such great lush foliage and, and natural, you know, flora and, and fauna. But unfortunately, a, a lot of that, that space is, is marred by eyesores. And, you know, this is a culture where there's a lot of litter and, and it ends up in the watershed. And that's what your organization that you co-founded, Kelly, is trying to address and making a lot of progress in a short amount of time. Yes, Stephanie, thank, yes, thanks to, to you and others. We've had some tremendous coverage, and I think it's because it's a very emotional issue. And um, for me, anyway, it's, it's something that once you see it, you can't unsee it. I'm sure we all have noticed litter on the streets, right? Um, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, as uh, Marie Constantine, our, our muse and our, yeah. <laughs> and our inspiration for the founding of this organization, says uh, what you see on the streets is you know, the lipstick on the pig, right? The lipstick and the pearls. <laughs> right. So, but what goes into the water, into the storm drains and comes out into the watersheds is what's really the problem. And I guess people don't realize, but as Marie has documented through her photographs, you know, there are low-lying areas even in places like, like the Burden Gardens, which are so beautiful, and then you go into their natural wetlands area and you see football fields with deep feet and feet deep trash that's yes. been there building for tens and 20 years. It's horrible. That, that's what inspired me to action, was standing in that field. The, the business report story in January, which you wrote, which was phenomenal, um, and Marie's consistent dedication and tireless efforts to being faithful, if not successful, as she says, like Mother Teresa says, you know, it's got to be faithful. She was very faithful for a very long time. And she took me out there in January with my uh, friend and neighbor, Wendy Carbo, who's also part of the coalition and a big supporter. Um, and we stood in that. We walked through that. In fact, Wendy fell in it. It was so deep, she fell into it up wow. to her knees. That's how deep the trash pile is. And that is about 200 yards from my childhood home on Peggy Street, where my 92-year-old mother still lives. And that's when I said, this is enough. What is, what is this? It's been there for 30 years, and right at the 10-12 split. At, yeah at Wards Creek. When it rains, the floatables float over Wards Creek, and as we say in the Stormwater Coalition, the first big rain is when the toilet flushes. And the toilet flushes and all the floatables, including things you could not imagine from, that come from people's backyards, that float out of their backyards into the creek, right? Unintended 
balls, every kind of ball you can imagine. And, and with and with climate change and, and severity of storms, the kind of rains we've been having, of course, it's raining all the time now and, and washing this into the watershed. Jeff, what, you know, a sustainable design is the buzzword you hear in architecture, landscape architecture, planning. What, what do you do to make a space more sustainable and how does that factor into your practice and projects? Well, I mean, so many times people conceive of landscape architecture as sort of the icing on the cake as, you know, um, help me create beautiful things. And, and I tell our clients, that's not good enough anymore. It, landscapes need to do something. They need to be like a machine. They need to either filter water, retain water, filter sunlight, attract wildlife. So our challenge has been we want to create this beautiful landscape for you, but we want it to be a working landscape. We want it to do these other things for you. And we began that, that, that 25 years ago in our residential work where we began to create rain gardens where we really? contain water on site. And people say, I really don't want a fountain. I said, well, when it rains, the rainwater from the gutter can create a tremendous water feature that you may see outside your window. And we can contain that water in a beautiful aquatic space without putting it into the watershed. And that's the root of a problem in Baton Rouge is that development is just pushing water onto other places and other people and into Wards Creek where its capacity has been diminished. What's being occupied by trash used to be occupied by water. And we look up and we wonder why we have a problem um, in other municipalities and in other states where we work. There's almost always a stormwater plan or policy that you have to adhere to. And some are zero runoff from your site. You cannot discharge any water from what you're doing onto any place else. Um, we're doing a school in downtown Houston, the Audi International School, and that's the policy. In the redevelopment, we can't discharge any water off of that site. And so just to, to carry this a step further, how are you designing it so that that school site will keep the water? Is it a pond? Elevated or? rain gardens with boardwalks over them that become biology lessons. They integrate them into the, the curriculum. They teach about native aquatics. They teach about water quality. They teach about biofiltration. Uh, we did that at a school in Birmingham called the Indian Springs School. It's been nationally recognized for the way we innovatively handled the stormwater on that project. Um, we just need to do more of it. We did it at Catholic High School here in the new plaza. People really? don't realize that all that rainwater coming from the student center is being contained in a rain garden that runs right through the center of the plaza. Well, I'm before so happy to hear that. <laughs> before it's being discharged into Dawson's Creek. It's wow. a small thing, but if everybody thought of it that way, think of the cumulative impact that could have in a favorable way we just need to be thinking out of the box we need to be more innovative we need not to be skeptical of that um, when I redeveloped and built an office building in Alexandria I had to get a permit and go to get a variance to do permeable paving in our parking lots meaning gravel they did not you want had to get a permit to do something that was better for yes. the environment and that would enable more water to drain and they 
made it harder for you to do that. Yes. Well, they wanted it, you just it's to just put education. In? They weren't informed. In their minds, gravel, they're thinking of the road in Kasachi National Forest. Oh, my right. God, you can't have that. Right. They didn't realize it was refined limestone gravel with Expensive a concrete, with a con- concrete curve. Um, you know, and once they saw it, they rubber stamped it. It's fine. It's great. You can do this. But, you know, 35 parking spaces that are all permeable. We, the driving lanes are still concrete. There's no, you know, and there's people that are resistant to new ideas. Oh, that gravel's going to float. It's going to wash. It really doesn't. It's worked beautifully. It's been there 12 years. No one's complained. It's those little things in a cumulative way that we need to think about to, to affect or positively impact how we handle water. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Jeffrey Carbo of Carbo Landscape Architecture and Kelly Hurtado of the Louisiana Stormwater Coalition. Kelly, the Stormwater Coalition not so much focused on on building codes and regulations, as Jeff mentioned, but you all are trying to come up with a comprehensive way to get the litter out of the watershed. Well, (laughs) yes, it's so complicated. So, um, I mean, for many years, uh, look, we use Florida as the model because they've done it very well. When the the EPA um, passed the Clean Water Act in the 70s, not long after that, long after that, Florida um, made storm, declared stormwater a utility, and as a result of that, in 160, one or two parish, or not parishes, excuse me, counties throughout the state of Florida, there are stormwater management programs, and those are um, basically funded, primarily funded by a stormwater utility fee, so like on your water and sewer bill, it would be a line item, and for example, the city of Pensacola uh, we've done the research, and they pay three dollars and fifty cents a month. It's so a very nominal. Fee. It's a nominal fee, and there are opt-out for hardships and so forth. I know that there's a, not a, an appetite for adding utility fees in our state, but between that and um, private-public partnerships and some regional and federal grants, they pull together these robust stormwater uh, management programs, which include uh, what Jeff is referring to um, fines. For not um, for not adhering to policies and fines and, and everything Jeff just talked about in terms of new construction um, and and runoff and water quality and quant is in addition to sure. water quantity and also though those monies if I understand it correctly also fund the purchase of equipment that like traps the litter in the canals before it gets further downstream and also pays to maintain and clean out those sieves or booms as they're and called, that is right? just that is probably the is equally as important it's to get the equipment the booms and the bandalongs and these are all technical terms but there are companies that do this and do it well all over the all over the country you know uh, we are number one in rain rainfall each year the state of louisiana ahead of hawaii which when we say that to people their their they mouth drops they can't yeah. believe it but we are and we need a, a stormwater management program in each of our parishes Um, there's only two areas in the state of Louisiana that we're aware of that have really even made any inroads in this one is the Vermilion Bay project in Lafayette and they did that over 20 years ago and they worked with their um, parish their city government to um, assess a fee a property tax to help fund that and it includes equipment includes regular clean out includes you know a guy in charge in in a kayak that goes out and makes sure that it's all um, you know, cleaned out regularly. Sure. So 
this this you know nobody wants to pay for anything here right nobody wants a tax or a fee and and jeff i suppose the developers don't want to pay the extra money that it costs to do something like the school you mentioned in texas or the school you mentioned in in birmingham i mean catholic high is a private school and they have a lot of well-heeled donors here in the baton rouge area that probably i'm assuming help support that innovative rain garden that you mentioned but um i mean you work a lot with developers here. Is there pushback, do you think, in this community um, from taking those necessary, more progressive steps that would help with stormwater mitigation? Well, the thing that I can tell you that you might be surprised about is that it doesn't always cost more money. Really? What's less, what costs more, um, a beautiful planted swell or a 36-inch concrete pipe? So we tell people, do you want to invest in pipe? Or do you want to invest in something that works equally as well that can be an amenity that is a good steward to the environment? So it doesn't always cost as much. We, doing a corporate office in the Lafayette campus, we can, um, their Lafayette campus, I, I can't mention their names, but completely flipped the way they were thinking about really? handling the stormwater drainage. So all the parking areas have rain gardens. It's all wow. under construction. Um, and it becomes the feature of the campus. So it doesn't always cost more. So that's our first in. It's mostly about education. It's because they are doing things the way that they've always been done in the past. And this is something that's new and and you have to see it Mm -hmm. and you have to know that it works before you become a believer. People are always skeptical of things they don't understand. And some of the things that we do um, with our developer clients is let us take you and show you these places. We can convince you that it does work and it doesn't always cost as much and you're becoming a good steward environment and you're actually creating a much more interesting development and campus um, than you would have otherwise. Um, you know, so I think it, for, for us it's education and, and the developers just sometimes need to slow down. Right open you know their minds a little bit and and let us show them innovative ways of handling that so you were at the robert reich school in the 80s and it's always been one of the the top if not the number one ranked um landscape architecture program for undergrad and grad in the country um but people weren't talking about this kind of stuff back then or were they oh yes you know i always tell you landscape architects have always been green always it just wasn't you know in the forefront you know um, what positive development is that landscape architects are now becoming the lead on development projects where in the past engineers and architects have been landscape architects always bring a different perspective to how a project may be handled than that of an architect who may be focused primarily on the building. You know, I tell my son who's studying landscape architecture, I about what's more what what's what's more interesting, the building or the space around the building? I think they're equally as important to think about the LSU campus, beautiful buildings, but think about them without the spaces around them. Of course. Would not be the same place. So, you know, it's it's thinking about both, you know, and it's about balance you know so many times I mean if there were a large development project and there was not a landscape architect on their team it would give me pause about what they're going to do or if a landscape architect was called in at the very last minute 
come come play some trees we always tell people of course they think it's self-serving but we think it's because the product is better the earlier you call us the better because we can help inform the overall project beyond the buildings in a way that's positive that does all these things that we're talking about that that uh, you know increase environmental awareness mm -hmm. so um but I, w I will say in regards to lsu school of um, landscape architecture it's been ranked number one uh, nine out of the last 12 years which is an incredible record so i would call that nine national championships so um it, it's an incredible place um wendy and i are um believe in their mission incredibly. You have students from all over the world that come to LSU to study landscape architecture. Um, it's the best investment that I ever made. That's great. And, and the Wendy you mentioned is the same Wendy, in case anybody missed it. But, <laughs> but you mentioned Kelly, and, and she's working with your group, and, and I've just been amazed at how you know how much traction that y'all have gotten in such a really short amount of time because a lot of people have good ideas and want to start nonprofits and take up a cause but this has really resonated with people and y'all have already set up a fund and raised money to buy equipment yes we sure have and i i think we attribute it we we stand in amazement at what we have accomplished you're exactly right in a very short period of time but the four founding members Maria of course again being the the motivation I guess and the inspiration and then Renee Verma and Dr. Jeff Keeney with the LSU Ag Center who runs the Burden Center and I um, are the co-founders we talk daily sometimes many times a day uh, we meet every Wednesday out at the Burden Center and have strategy session and invite others and have I mean I could give you a laundry list but you, your eyes would glaze over of all the people we've met with in the last four months from elected officials, city, metro council, city, state, um, Breck, Braff, and yes, we have established a couple of months ago, we established a fund with the help of John Spain and Lauren Jumanville at um, Crepinzano Jubinville at Baton Rouge Area Foundation and we um, immediately raised $15,000 and then there was an item in the daily report one day and boom 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 we got a lot of um, just little grassroots donations in there as well and with that we purchased our first 75 foot boom and a boom is like a sieve um, that, that's going to catch the litter in in a part of Bayou Fountain. Yes, it's popular with kayakers near the Breck Highland Road Park. Yes, and then what's the what's the plan moving forward? I mean, are you all hoping to be a just a conduit and, and let somebody else go ahead and purchase the equipment and maintain it over time, or are you just all well, working out those details? We're working out those details, but I mean, certainly, ideally, we we hope for a permanent stormwater management program, which includes equipment all in, in watersheds all over town. Uh, with regular maintenance but in the short run um, we're working with folks with Breck and we're trying to we're we're close but we haven't we don't have I can't announce it yet but Breck has expressed an interest to work with us um, to keep this boom clean and other booms hopefully very soon throughout the different paddleways all through our, our, our parish which are so we can have but um, Nathaniel Klum, this young man who is with um, Paddle BR. Uh, and, and Paddle BR is like a kayaking group. Right? Yes. And canoe and kayak. Passionate enthusiast um, has been for 10 years on his own paddling his kayak up and down Bayou Fountain and cleaning it and picking up litter by hand. Um, and so this will help. Nathan we're working with Nathaniel on this, and we worked with some folks from the Vermilion Bay project that successfully did it. They came up here, told us where to install the boom for the most efficient, you know, trash collection. So now 
Nathaniel and his team until we work out a permanent solution or long-term solution they'll only have to paddle to one location there'll be a, a little kayak rollover so that they can roll in their kayaks and scoop out the litter from the one boom rather than having to paddle up and down of course fantastic much should it be this hard though I mean should private citizens have to be doing this on their own or, I mean, in, in, as you travel around, and I know y'all have done research on Florida, Kelly, is, as you work in other states, I mean, do you see their governments, municipalities, doing this kind of stormwater management more on their own? Yes. <clears throat> We're behind the curve in a big way. Um, when I see reports of citizens out clearing Dawson's Creek and Ward's Creek, um, my first question is, why isn't that they are doing that? And our government is not. Um, we don't have a program, and it hasn't been funded, and um, I think we just need to be more aggressive. I think one thing that uh, things move slowly here, and maybe too slowly. I, I think, I don't know if I was in leadership, I think I would have almost a direct appointment of, a, of an individual that was the czar of stormwater and flood control. It's that important. It's a top three issue beyond crime, flooding, you know. Th th those are the major issues. Quality of life. I mean, those are things that are really important that we're lagging behind on that we really need to step up to the plate. And I'm, I'm hoping that our leaders begin to exude some more leadership in a way that positively impacts these things that are very, very important. I don't think they realize how important. The more trash in Wards Creek, the more likely there are others to be flooded in the future. We tend to be reactive instead of proactive. And it's, it's sad to say if you flood it once, you're likely to flood again. And we, we, we've got to do something. I we've, think this is a lot of years of reactive. This is not anything new. Yeah. And clearly from the trash that we've picked up in some of these watersheds, uh, Nathaniel found a 30-year-old Budweiser can. And you can tell because you can tell from you know, the, the old logo. The old right? logos, <laughs> right. Or an old Coke can, for example. This has been going on for years. And it's particularly the, the heavy amounts of trash in these watersheds, the low-lying areas, right? Out of sight, out of mind. Again, I, I, I didn't know. Most of us didn't know until we got into this. Most citizens don't know. You pass on I-10 and you pass the split and to your right and you could throw a rock and hit an 81-ton trash field that's hidden in the woods because you'd have to trek through the woods to get to it, right? But it's not just there. It's, there's many, many of them. There are supposedly 250 watersheds all throughout East Baton Rouge Parish. So I would love to see us identify all those watersheds, then make them known, particularly to the people in the, in the neighborhoods, right? Identify the, the trash field in your neighborhood, and let's see if we can, in, in, in partnership with the government, private-public partnership, um, work together to get it to a to cleanup point and then work to have a permanent program in place. Yeah, prioritize, yes. develop a plan, and fund it. Yes. Um, but let, let me just say this. I think our problem is not just because of trash. It's because of development as well. It's, there are multiple yep. contributing factors. Um, mm -hmm. We've got to th rethink about the way we handle development 
density of developments, um, stormwater retention on these new development sites, as well as the things that Kelly are talking about, which have greatly impacted these 250 watersheds. Doing nothing has gotten us where we are today. And we, we've got to be more proactive. And, and, you know, I guess it all boils down to our ability to fund these projects. We just have to make, I personally think funding is available. We just need to make it a priority. Mm -hmm. To me, it's that important. And, and education, as you pointed out, yeah. is such a big part of it. And your wife, Wendy, who should be here with us today, because she's like the missing link here. But she's writing a book, a children's book, you all said. Yes. That, that's going to, hopefully the Stormwater Coalition will be yes, part of that. Yes, about episode. Harry the Water Turkey. And um, Brian Boudreau, another one of our great volunteers that's been working on Capitol Lake with uh, Marie for couple years to um took takes pictures of the death by litter you know these these poor animals that get you know plastic around their beak and this one water turkey had a plastic something around his beak and could not eat and and brian was watching him slowly die and finally he got so weak brian was able to go and grab him and take it off and and harry survived so wendy is writing a story about harry the water turkey and our our goal is to have um, a little section in the back with some, you know, um, informative information about stormwater management and what happens when you, you know, you drop that can or that bottle and hopefully get it into into the schools. Yeah. yeah, I think Wendy's goal, she's a former elementary school teacher, is that this book gets in the hands of every elementary school mm -hmm. student in the East Baton Rouge Parish. And I think it's critical that we begin to educate people at an early age. Absolutely. Right. Because it's going to raise awareness. Yeah. So it's education, it's, it's education. litter cleanup, it's stormwater management programs, it's equipment, it's maintenance of the equipment, it's all of the above. It, it, one doesn't work. Right. It's all of it. Comprehensive. Yes. Well, Kelly Hurtado and Jeff Carbo, you all are, I'm so glad you all are both on the, on the case and working hard and, and helping to really galvanize public support around this very important issue. So it's been such an interesting discussion. Thank you so much for taking time to be here and share your insights with us on Out to Lunch. Well, thank you. Thank you. We will continue to follow your progress. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jeff Carbo of Carbo Landscape Architecture and Kelly Hurtado of the Louisiana Stormwater Coalition. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Carbo Landscape Architecture and the Louisiana Stormwater Coalition by listening to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsbatonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Today's photos were taken by J.T. O'Neill. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. 
Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 